This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's a Monday. You know what we do to kick off every Monday. We talk about how great our weekend was and uh, how we got to mess around while there were people way, way, way braver than us. Construction projects. Driving lessons. More info to follow. Yes. Yeah. 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 OG might have an insurance claim in his future, which is cool that we have Amy Fickelstein on today from MIT talking about the nature of insurance. But needed somebody who takes care of us all the time are our troops, some buddies who take care of us all the time so we can have a great weekend uh, rearranging the garage and such. But why don't we raise our mugs at this point? So, Joe, I'm disappointed to see that you are not using your Zion mug. And here's why. As I remembered after the fact, remember how I asked you, oh my God, have you ever washed that mug? Because the inside of the mug is a map, but I couldn't tell. Yes, right. And it just looks like that nasty, dark, coffee-stained mug that what I'd forgotten about uh, dawned on me a little while after that was that the classic Navy officer's mug is as nasty the inside like it is a point of pride to have the inside of that mug just as nasty and stained as possible and that's i should do that yeah the patina the, yeah it, and, it, and you can't like a cast iron pan it, it is exactly what it's like og is a cast iron pan like you can't wash it but you also have to only drink black coffee because if you if you do cream and sugar it like grows stuff in there and that's where all the you know the crap comes from but if you just drink black coffee and you just kind of do a light rinse and dump it out and then you just keep on going for I don't know 3 4 years you finally will get this <laughs> 3 or 4 years <laughs> you will finally get the mug of a naval officer so i thought that was perfect for our salute to the military well i'm actually uh, yeah, I got a different thing going. Uh, I've got Boulevard Brewing, which is uh, proudly brewed in Kansas City, it says. Uh, so, you know, beer or coffee, whichever you want. But also, this is the home of the World War One Museum. Have you guys been to the World War One Museum? Speaking about oh, man, troops, I, I hear amazing things oh, about that. I have not been. Just incredible. The World War Two Museum in New Orleans is also amazing. Both of those. But yeah, some people, you know, you get this pit in your stomach. The sacrifices people made for us mm. are just amazing. So let's raise our raise our mugs. On behalf of the men and women creating Podcast in Mom's Basement and the men and women at Navy Federal Credit Union, big salute to our troops. Let's go stack some Benjamins, shall we? 
Uh, hey, everyone. Just a reminder to tell Joe's mom she looks like she lost weight because I accidentally parked on the grass again. Hey, guys. Mics are hot. Quiet on the set. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and as they say, a verbal contract isn't worth the paper it's written on. Which is why today, we're diving into a written contract we all need. Insurance! MIT professor and author Amy Finkelstein will take you behind the scenes of the insurance market so you can make better choices. For our TikTok Minute, a reminder that maybe we could pay more attention on the job. Plus, in our headlines, we'll detail the best places in the world to live. Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky stacker, and then I'll share some heartwarming trivia. And now, two guys who want to ensure that you'll have stacks of Benjamins when you need them, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Hey there, stackers, and a happy Monday to you. I am Joe Salcihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter. You found us. You found the Stacky Benjamin Show. Sit back, relax, grab your favorite beverage, because we're about to have an hour of fun financial nerdery. And man, are we bringing it today? You know why we're bringing it? Because we got this guy across the card table from me. Mr. OG is here. How are you, my friend? I'm pretty good, all things considering. It's almost the end of January. It is. Can you believe it? Where did January go? See ya. Good. Good riddance. Yeah, I was on a flight this weekend, and uh, our flights were delayed because of uh, de-icing. Which, which is always fantastic. I got to run yeah. through the Atlanta airport. Better than them being uh, crashed. So Yes. That's... No, absolutely. I will take uh, door number one, please. Door number one. Use extra de-icing fluid if you can. Yes. We're going to talk, OG, today about how the insurance market works. Doug, as you said so eloquently earlier, Amy Finkelstein, of course, MIT professor, uh, she's got j- just... It's, this is so interesting when you dive into it. It sounds like the world's most boring topic on top, but then you start diving in. And well, Doug, you and I previewed this a little bit. This is some interesting stuff that she's she's got, she's going to be talking about. Yeah. No, it always is. Amy, uh, great headline, world's weirdest TikTok minute, just another episode, another day in the basement. So let's get this party started right after I, uh, well, I share with you this. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, you know what I think about Navy Federal? I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country and I also think about some of our active service members. want to say a special shout out to uh, my nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. 
Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine, and my nephew Nathan is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members, many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equalizing lender. I thought that was pretty important, didn't you guys? Got to get that message out there. Got to. Absolutely have to. Amy Finkelstein, waiting upstairs with mom. So let's roll. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our headline today uh, comes to us from Lensa.com. New research dives into, OG, the places where you can earn the most money in the world. So if you're thinking about being mobile, we've talked before about being mobile. What are the young professional hotspots if you're looking for a job? Well, the top places with job availability. Number one is Singapore. Singapore has the most jobs. Number two, Luxembourg. What? Both people, both <laughs> people live in Luxembourg. <laughs> they both quit. And so now there's some openings. There's some openings. Nice. And number three is the United States. But what's funny about this is that, you know, Singapore, they show this Singapore skyline, which is really cool. They show the water. United States, they show the Empire State Building. Uh, Luxembourg, they show a castle, of course, where all the residents live. <laughs> you can right be there. a servant. <laughs> it, would, it would be great. Uh, the places that pay the highest that highest average annual salary. Any guesses, OG, well, where highest annual salary would be? Dubai. It is not. You know what's weird? A uh, Qatar, uh, or Qatar, uh, I'm not sure. I hear people pronounce that word so many ways, is number nine, but the only country in that region that made the list. Number one is Switzerland. Seventy-five. <laughs> Seventy-five. $7,500 a week and $90,000, just over $90,000 a month. Norway is number two at $84,000 a month. Luxembourg, number three at $81,000. Uh, United States, by the way, fifth with uh, 70430 A month. They put all this <laughs> a day. Per unit of time that we mostly measure income. No, I'm sorry. Did, did, did I, as I was going through these, I thought I said weekly and then changed it up to yearly, but I never, you, I, just, I heard a month in there and I'm like, holy cow. I made the transition in my head. I might've said per month. That's per year peeps. So let's go back to that. $90,000 for Switzerland, uh, Norway, just over 84,000, 81,000 for Luxembourg. Ireland's number four, by the way, at 74,000 United States at number five at 70 Denmark, number six, Singapore, number seven, Sweden, number eight, uh, cutter, number nine, Australia, 10, Please keep going. Yeah, number number 18, number 66, number 92. Here's the thing, though, OG. You put these numbers together. People might think, hey, I should move to Norway. I should move to Switzerland. Guess what else is very high in those countries? Discipline and accountability. I don't know what is. <laughs> Cost of living. 
is incredibly oh, high. Yes. In Norway, ah, especially. So it's not always greener on the other side of the fence. Exactly. The number one country, according to Insights by Lensa, uh, which helps people search for jobs and find jobs, is the United States. Because of the lower cost of living, the available entertainment, banking, they go through a bunch of different options uh, for young professionals. Luxembourg still clocks in at number two, by the way. I was going to say, when we when we lived in Michigan and decided to explore moving and ended up in Texas, one of the things that I think most people don't really appreciate in the U.S. is how you can quite literally travel four time zones, 3,000 miles, you know, and you have the virtually the same government, you have the same money, you have the same banking system, you have the same language, you have the same, like all of the stuff is the same. And you can control, do I want better weather or do I want lower cost of living or do I want... Like you can make a list of the 20 things that you want to do or kind of hang out with or do, you know, whatever the case, whatever's most important to you. And, you know, you might not be able to pull off all 20 of them, but you can probably knock out half of them. Whereas if you're in, if you're in the UK and you're like, I hate this weather, I need to be someplace warm. You're going five countries away and different language and you need permission to go there and live there for an extended period of time and all that stuff. And here it's like, you can just throw your crap in a U-Haul and go, I, I want to be by the mountains and boom, you can do that. So that's. It's quite a blessing, I think, that most of us forget about. No, and it is very much so. You look at the third country on this, Romania. Romania wasn't on either of those lists that I told you about earlier, but Romania, the cost of living is so low that it pops up on the list. Yeah, low cost of living, but there's different challenges there too, I'm sure. Sure. No, when I was in uh, Budapest, they were talking about how the you know the infrastructure is all crumbling. I said the, the same city thing. is. It's so annoying. What? Oh There's God. no H, but you have to there. say it. I got it. Okay, but what's funny is I pronounced it wrong. I pronounced it the wrong way. So you guys can laugh at me. I pronounced it Budapest until I went there, and I was told by the people that live there that were idiots uh-huh. okay. and that we're doing it wrong. So whatever, well, you guys are right. Island next. You guys are right. You've got it. No, you got it. Go ahead. Let's go to Travis City. So Budapest, when I was in Budapest. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for making it more American for me. Yes. (laughs) What happened was, what what happened was, I mean, they talked about how the the infrastructure is all all crumbling, but the cost of living, like going out to restaurants, the nightlife, like it was phenomenal, you know, beautiful buildings, all kinds of cool stuff. There's a give and take. Yeah, and Luxembourg's there for the exact opposite. Luxembourg, very high cost of living, expensive place to live, but they're on there because the access and how close you are to sites and all kinds of beauty all around you and the fact that you can make a lot of money, even though you're going to spend a lot. And according to this survey, they think that it's worth it. United States, kind of a good middle ground uh, there between, between all those things. You can dive into these statistics And you can miss the pieces, OG. So to your point, if you're somebody that really likes low cost of living, well, then Romania might be your spot. If you want to be close to the sites and you're okay with with a very high cost of living, well, then Norway or Luxembourg. I feel like we don't dive enough. Number one, we don't start with what am I really looking for? And number two is we don't really dive into these stats and see, you know, where are these numbers actually coming from? On the advent of... A little bit more mobile work life, I think, also helps kind of expand the horizons here a little bit. Absolutely. I got a piece here, by the way, speaking of statistics and how 
how often I think statistics can fool you. This is a piece from Psychology Today written by uh, Dr. Glenn Gayher. Glenn talks about three ways where statistics uh, can fool you. Number one is amplifying the importance of statistical significance. Statistical significance is limited in its importance, while statistical significance can tell you that some finding is likely to represent how things are in terms of patterns at the broader level. Based on how statistical significance is determined, you can, in fact, never be fully certain you're correct. We've seen this on our show before, where, where people will say, well, we, you know, we, we talked to 45 people, and we came up with something very statistically significant. Is it statistically significant? On 45 people. On 45 people. And also, if you think about the fact that, you know, we will often say, you know, 60% of people haven't done this. And we've had people write us back on, well, you could present that the exact opposite way and go, hey, 40% of the people then are ahead of the game. Like, that's a huge number. You can go from I'd like this to remind pitiful. the audience at this point that I got a B minus barely in statistics <laughs> in my graduate school work. So I have... Uh, I have nothing valuable to add on the statistics front. Thank you. No, no. Cause you're a guy that always, when we're talking about statistics, you're like, yeah, I didn't say that I can't spot BS. That's a different thing. That sound is him being, <laughs> well, that's confused. what this piece is all about is yeah. how to spot BS. Yeah, that's just capitalizing on type one error. So without getting too far into the details, type one error exists when a researcher finds that one results significantly significant, but then kind of rolls that ball OG to say, oh, because this is significant, then these things must be. No, 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 no. You can't correlate just based on this, this, this one thing. And then third, of course, is that we use too small of a sample size. Like what, what's the sample size? Did we really talk to enough people? And can we amplify that? It's not your, it's the size of your sample. It's the- <laughs> it is, it actually is the size of the sample. Actually, it is the size of the sample that matters. Yes. Really? Contrary to everything you've been told. We will link to all these and we're going to dive more into how to spot BS in statistics and also these uh, young professional hotspots. If you're mobile and you're looking to maybe move and you know why you're moving, well, then we'll link to all these. And of course, in our 201, Kevin Bailey will dive even deeper into these topics. Time, guys, for our TikTok Minute. This is the part of the show where we find something that a TikTok creator shining a light on. In this case, this wasn't actually made on TikTok. A TikTok creator shining a light on. And Doug, uh, you think this is going to be gold or air quotes gold? Gold, Jerry. It's going to be gold. You know, I think I, th- I think you're right, Doug. We're often not that great at our jobs. We don't pay attention enough as we should. And this is just a good reminder from the show Reno 911 that I saw the clip on TikTok, two police officers driving through a taco place drive-thru. And this is uh, what the person at the drive-thru says to them. And by the way, when she says, is there something in my teeth? The only piece of this you won't get audio for is she's pointing at her tooth and she's moving her, uh, she's moving her thumb up and down while she points with one finger at her tooth. And if you do that, well, Look at that motion yourself as you make it, and I think you'll get where where she's going with that. Hello. How are you doing, ma'am? Hi. I'm terrific. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. Just great. Just great. Sorry for the holdup, guys. It's all right. I know I I held you up. That's probably a crime, isn't it? 
No, no, no problem. But no, no. could you hurry up? Because we got a lot of crime. Can you wait nine dollars for tacos? I mean, that's highway robbery, isn't it? just completely oblivious oh i get it oh this was this was a funny someone made a funny got it yeah i don't know if you've seen the show reno 911 but that's that's the that's kind of the entire show obliviousness of uh got it some of our finest story of my life yeah you, you might have to pay a little bit more attention at work i think these guys got to pay just a little bit more attention Hey, it's highway robbery, $9 for tacos, isn't it? Boy, it's a crime. Like how many, how many freaking clues does she need to give them? Coming up next, Amy Finkelstein is not only a professor at MIT, she's co-author of a new book from Yale Press, Risky Business, Why Insurance Markets Fail and What to Do About It. The more you understand about just the basics of how insurance works, the better insurance decisions you're going to make. I see all the time in internet forums, people, you know, using some shorthand that sometimes works OG and sometimes doesn't. A lot of times it doesn't because you can tell by the shorthand they're using that they just don't understand how the insurance market works. And if you do, I think you're going to make better decisions. The cool thing I like about Amy is she's fantastic at telling stories that get the point across about how to think about insurance. Even me, and I love insurance, as I was reading through her work, I couldn't believe how interesting some of these stories were. We're about to hear them, but as a way to get there, Doug, you got some trivia for us, I think. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I've been thinking about just what a loss it would be if you know who weren't around. You know who I'm talking about, right? Well, I think we need key person insurance. According to Investopedia, it's a life insurance policy that a company purchases on the life of an owner, top executive, or another individual considered critical to the business. You all know who the voice of this business is. The whole reason anybody's even listening. No, not you, Doug. Wait a minute. It says here... We could replace you with a monkey and Alexa and a loudspeaker. That is, that's pretty rude. You know, you can just insure your parts as well. Okay, not those parts. Well, maybe. So my question is, whose famous smile is rumored to be insuranced? I can't believe I just said that. Is rumored to be insuranced? for $30 million. I'll be right back after I practice my new master class on how to exceed an unlimited budget. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. 
Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Hey there, stackers. I'm toenail insurer and high-risk hair haver, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Rumor has it Cristiano Ronaldo has his legs insured and Mariah Carey her voice, whereas Joe's mom often offers me money to stop singing. Not sure what that's all about. So whose smile is insured for $30 million, according to rumors, which are always true? It's actress Julia Roberts. And now, to learn more about Work It, Own It, with the insurance game, we welcome Amy Finkelstein. Well, if you don't understand insurance, you are not alone. Some brilliant people don't understand insurance, and that's actually the crux of why my guest here joins me today. Amy Finkelstein joins me. How are you? Thanks for having me, Joe. I appreciate being here. Well, thanks for talking insurance with me because as a fellow insurance nerd, I loved your project. I love the book and it shines this light in an area where people get afraid. But the whole reason you started this project, which, which, and, and tell me if this is true, it's because some very high flying, very well known individuals may not have known that much about how insurance compares to broccoli? Is that the, is that the story? Yes. Yes. In fact, we jokingly thought, so our book is titled Risky Business, but we jokingly referred to it among it's, I, the three of us. I wrote it with um, my colleagues, Laurent Inev and Ray Fisman. You know, why is insurance different from broccoli? It was the alternative working title for the book. So the story of this 
goes back to the 2012 Supreme Court case over whether the Obama mandate that uh, everyone have health insurance was constitutional. Now, we're not legal scholars or constitutional scholars, but you know, from an economics point of view, because we're all economists, the reason for the mandate is precisely what our book is about, that why, why sometimes insurance markets won't work if we just let the free market run rampant. But we were struck when um, Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia asked during oral arguments, well, if a government can mandate uh, that everyone have health insurance, can they also mandate that everyone eat their broccoli? Now, he was obviously making a rhetorical point about a, you know, paternalistic and invasive state that is meddling too much in individuals' lives. But for us as, you know, self-proclaimed, as you, you said it, insurance nerds, this just made us hit the roof. I mean, insurance is very different from broccoli, even if people tend to dislike both of them. And the reason is fundamental to understanding all kinds of frustrations and mysteries about the world around you, like uh, why dental insurance is so crummy, why pet health insurance is so expensive, why when you apply for auto insurance, they want to know about your credit score and your grades. And the reason is the following. Insurance companies care very much about who their customers are because the company's profits depend not just on how much insurance they sell, but on who they sell it to. If they sell it to accident-prone, risky customers or safe and careful customers. By contrast, the supermarket does not care who buys its broccoli. They care only about how much broccoli they sell. That is kind of the aha when it comes to insurance, Amy, I think, is that the customer really matters to your point. But hey, buy as much broccoli as you want at the grocery store. That's great. But if you're the wrong customer to an insurance company, there's a ton on the line. You shine a light on this right at the beginning with a non-insurance story, because this is all about something you call in the book selection. And I think that is short for who selects your product and who's using your product. But you tell a story about American Airlines. you mind diving into this? Because I think this is going to illuminate it for our stacker community. Happy to do so. And that's because while selection is not a problem in broccoli, uh, it's not a unique problem to insurance markets. Insurance markets are a particularly important example where it's a problem, but selection problems show up any time when a company's profits depend on not just how many customers buy their product, but which customers. And so we start with this story uh, from American Airlines from the early 1980s, where they offered, they had the idea of marketing a lifetime pass of first class travel to, you know, their high end customers. Think about it, you know, when you can go, go to an amusement park, you can either pay per ride, or you can buy a pass that gets you a wristband so you can ride as many rides as you want all day long for free. So they thought of doing the same thing for first class travel. And they priced it initially at about, I think, a quarter of a million dollars, which in today's money would be about three quarters of a million dollars. So it's really, you know, it's it's really a high end thing. And they thought this would attract some rich pleasure travelers and they'd make a ton of money on it in the same way an amusement park can make money by selling these, you know, all day wristbands. And that's not what happened. What happened was the customers who bought it were the kinds of customers who just love to fly. You know, one guy, for example, made 16 round trip first class 
flights from Chicago to London in the space of, <laughs> I can't remember if it was like a month or a year, but a really short amount of time. Suffice it to and that alone would have been like $125,000. So, you know, a substantial chunk of what he'd already paid. And that was just in the first few, you know, beginning of his lifetime pass, as it were. Suffice it to say, the American Airlines quickly discovered that they were losing money on this all-you-can-fly wristband because people who were buying it were people who were using it on just a gazillion flights and flying all the time, kind of like we talk in the book, the, you know, up in the, the George Clooney up in the air character, just constantly flying. So they did what seemed to make sense to do when you're selling a product and losing money. They raised the price to make more money. But that, unfortunately, in selection markets is exactly the wrong strategy because what happens when you raise the price? Well, take all those like really, really, you know, high intensity flyers who were buying the lifetime pass. It's going to discourage the least flying of all those high flyers. Um, And then so the only customers who continued buying it were even more extreme in the amount they flew. So the costs per customer were just going up and up and they raised it again. And finally, after a few years, they threw in the towel and admitted defeat and canceled the policy. It's so interesting because, yeah, if you raise the price on me and I love to fly, I'm going to make damn sure that I get my money's worth, Amy. Like I'm going to double down. Yeah, or if I don't think I'm going to get my money's worth, I just don't buy the, I don't, I won't buy it. It's only worth it if you think, you look at it and you think, wow, yeah, that's an expensive quarter of a million dollars, but boy, do I love to fly and boy, will I use it a lot. I love this because it really shines a light on insurance and why they need to know their customers so much and why they ask reams and reams of questions. I remember back when I was a financial planner, and I know they've done a better job of looking at which information they need and what information they don't need and which information, frankly, they can get from other sources with my permission. But I remember just pages and pages and pages of questions I'd have to ask a client if they wanted to apply for a life insurance policy. You make this statement really well about Harvard with two tiers of health insurance later in the book. They have a a less expensive tier for people and then a more expensive tier, but one that gives you a lot better benefit. And it seems like they went into the death spiral for the same reason. Can you tell the Harvard story? Oh, sure. It's always fun to to make fun of Harvard. (laughs) As somebody who's working, somebody working right across the street. Exactly. (laughs) As as an MIT professor, we always, it's always wonderful when when mighty Harvard stumbles. But I actually have a bit of a personal connection to the story. So, So the way we know about this Harvard death spiral is because someone who was then an undergraduate at Harvard, Sarah Reber, discovered it for her senior thesis and then ended up co-authoring a paper on it with her with her advisor, David Cutler. I met Sarah Reber after she had done this work, and we were roommates in, in graduate school together. And I introduced her to her husband, which, you know, marriage markets are another selection market, but this one luckily did not have a death spiral. Uh, so this, this Harvard story is near and dear to my heart. So Uh, Let me explain what Sarah and David discovered for us. Harvard, like many employers, offers uh, a range of insurance products, you know, so a less generous and a more generous one. And at some point in the mid-1990s, they were concerned about, you know, Harvard, of course, has a has a huge endowment, but nonetheless, they're always concerned about their bottom line. And in this case, they were concerned that they were losing money on some of their benefits, like health insurance. And so they did something which I think actually 
seems totally sensible, which is to say, look, the employer pays for your health insurance, but we're going to pay, you know, rather than pay for most of the more generous policy, we're just going to pay for the basic policy. And if you want a more generous policy, you're going to need to pay for it yourself out of pocket, which makes well, sense. It seems like, to, yeah, it's, it totally makes sense. Yes, it totally makes sense. You know, they can give everyone higher wages and some people are going to want to spend it on trips around the world, American Airlines passes and whatnot, and some people want more health insurance. So let, let people decide. The problem was when they went to making people having to pay actually most of the cost of the more expensive policy, guess what happened? People who were younger, healthier, not prone to major illness were less likely to buy the more generous coverage. And so as a result, the average cost, the, the sort of number of doctor's visits, hospital visits of people buying that more generous coverage went up. So they had, just like American Airlines, Harvard had to raise its prices the next year on this more generous policy to cover its claims. Guess what happened? The you know healthiest of the customers who were buying the most generous policy stopped buying it. And, all, and there we went, all, round and round we went. And after a couple of years, like American Airlines, Harvard had to stop offering that policy altogether. And I want to emphasize something important. You might say, why does it matter if only the really sick people are buying the comprehensive health insurance? Let, let people buy what they want. As we say in the book, none of the three of us buy expensive cars, and we don't consider that a market failure. But the issue is that the point of insurance is to protect you against the vagaries and uncertainties and vicissitudes in life. And those can happen even to healthy customers or, in the case of automobile insurance, safe drivers. The whole point of insurance is that it's about the risk, the, the what if. And all of us, no matter how healthy we think we are or how good a driver we think we are, can end up sick or in an accident. And so we all want insurance. The problem is we don't want to pay for it when it's priced to reflect the fact that everyone else who's buying it is already suffering from several chronic conditions or known to be a terrible driver. So that's why it's a real problem when these products get driven out of existence by selection problems. Yeah, it makes it so the least healthy among us just can't get insurance. I mean, they just can't because that pool is so dirty. Yeah, in the case of, of Harvard, you couldn't get the, the more comprehensive coverage. You could get a, a more minimalist coverage. But again, even if you're healthy, you, you some people will value the security of knowing that should they get sick, they have a very comprehensive policy that will fully protect them. And that became unavailable. Yeah, you won't be able to get it anymore. Uh, you don't write about this in the book, but I want to extrapolate two areas of financial planning just based on what you've said so far that seem to make sense to me. I have read disability policies, if you're going to buy them on your own, Amy, are very expensive. And I would have to believe this is selection at work. The only people who buy long-term disability coverage or maybe an outsized portion of people who buy long-term disability coverage are people that know that something might happen to them or they know inside that they have a better chance of the risk. Would you say that's that's got to be true? That's why it's expensive? Absolutely. One of the challenges in, in doing research on this topic and writing a book on it is that many of the markets where um, adverse selection wreaks such havoc become incredibly small or completely go out of existence as a result. So the disability insurance market is quite small. Others go out of existence. And it's it, it's hard to study. It's, sometimes it's even hard to think about what are the markets that 
don't exist because they're not in front of you. So we actually, as we talk about in the book, did what all serious research economists uh, do and and conducted a, a Twitter poll of our fellow economists of what are some of the kinds of insurance products that don't exist. You know, also we could have done, as you said, ones that are very small, like like disability insurance. But we were going even more so for the the ones that would be valuable but but don't exist. And we got some not so serious answers like first date insurance or, <laughs> you know, tenure denial insurance, right? But uh, one of our favorite examples, and then we actually were able to learn something about the history of this non-market. Someone pointed out that you can't buy insurance against divorce. And then, of course, they caveated quickly that they weren't looking for themselves, but right. just saying, you know, <laughs> there hadn't been divorce insurance. And so we actually looked into it. And, and this was an example of someone who tried to start a market for divorce insurance back in the, like, I think 2010. You know, the market's, you know, enormous and you know, there are well over 2 million marriages a year. And the problem is kind of obvious. Who are the couples who are going to want to buy divorce insurance? They, they're ones who are worried that their marriage isn't going so well and they may be headed for an expensive divorce. Now, the, the entrepreneur, John Logan, who started this business, wasn't fully unaware of this selection problem. You know, he understood that divorce insurance and broccoli were different. And so he put a four-year waiting period on the policy, right? So if you buy a policy and you divorce within the first four years of the policy, you're not going to get any payout. So the idea is, well, that's going to hopefully ward off the customers who are already like at each other's throats. But unfortunately, this wasn't sufficient. The, the market did not survive. The, the policies were incredibly expensive, priced basically because they're expecting that even with this waiting period, the people who are going to buy it are people who are likely to get divorced. And it turned out to be worth like less than just putting your money in a savings account. And and that has the added advantage that if you don't get divorced, then you still have that money. So um, so yeah, it was it was a really bad idea. Similarly, private insurance against layoffs suffered a very similar fate. Some entrepreneurs, several entrepreneurs tried to offer it. They put in waiting periods and yet the market just just totally collapsed. I found that case study that you go through on layoffs particularly interesting because this idea of waiting periods, and I want to get back to this in a second, Amy, because I think this is why it's important for people to read the fine print and understand what they're actually getting into because these waiting periods are designed, according to you, to make sure that they don't attract the wrong customers. It actually, the waiting period makes it better for you as somebody holding insurance because you know that you're weeding out people that already know they're going to want to use it. But in the case of layoffs, those waiting periods weren't long enough. Like you wrote that they had a waiting period of six months. And in, in some of the stories that you tell, people are like, yeah, there was nothing on the, there was no writing on the wall a year you know, ahead of time, but you just kind of knew. It just felt like we were going the wrong way. So you were only going to buy that policy if you thought something bad was going to happen. Yeah, exactly. So waiting periods are one of the quote unquote solutions to selection problems. I say quote unquote because they come at a cost. That means you don't actually have insurance during the waiting period. And some people may actually just unfortunately get laid off in the first six months after they bought a policy, not because they knew it was going to happen. It's the yeah. actual risk. But the flip side is what you're trying to do is prevent people from waiting until the risk has occurred to buy the policies. Like One of, one of the central messages you could take away from our book is, as I said, the whole point of insurance 
is to smooth risk, to get rid of vagaries and vicissitudes. Therefore, you can't wait to buy the policy till the risk has occurred. And I can poke a little fun at my husband as an example of someone who, at least when he was in graduate school, hadn't learned this lesson. He, um, he had AAA towing insurance, but he lived about 50 miles from his childhood home, and they had a beloved childhood mechanic in his hometown that they thought did a great job. And he always thought if he ever had serious car problems, he'd take it to the hometown mechanic. Well, one day his car broke down and he had, you know, he's a grad student. He had the bare bones, cheap AAA policy that only will tow you within 10 miles. So, you know, ever the resourceful guy, he calls his AAA policy from the side of the road, AAA, from the side of the road where his car's broke down and says, hey, I'd like to... Um, upgrade to the deluxe policy that you know can tow for up to 100 miles and they very accommodately said you know sure thing sir and that'll go into effect in another month right like no 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 no. (laughs) i want it right now (laughs) yeah well and there's a reason he couldn't get it you know he was he was so he's like the customer that the company doesn't want he's a bad insurance customer he's a very good husband i will say but you know i wouldn't (laughs) I, i wouldn't sell him i wouldn't try to sell him insurance but the point is both that that's why they have the waiting periods, but also buying and trying to buy quote unquote insurance after the bad event has occurred. That's not insurance, right? The whole point is is to buy it before when there's just a risk. Well, and that's interesting too. And you make that note right away that when you're buying insurance, you want to do it as early on as possible because that's your best chance of having more information than the insurance company will have about you. Over time, they'll they'll get more about you. But this also applies to, I was thinking as I was reading, Amy, about suicide exclusions the first two years on most, and I think all life insurance policies, a suicide exclusion is also, I, I would guess, a waiting period in a way. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, another waiting period is if you've ever wondered why you're only allowed to change your health insurance typically once a year in the fall, that's another example, right? They don't want you to wait until you discover a lump in your in your arm to upgrade your, your health insurance policy. Why do they want to give you a discount if you have a gym membership? Oh, uh, yeah, that's one of my favorite examples, um, especially because it turns out to be true. Like, you know, we th- I thought it was just apocryphal when we started working on this book. So health insurance companies will sometimes get offer discounts to gym memberships if you sign up with right. them. Yeah, now, yeah. you might think that that's because the health insurance company is, is hoping that you're going to go to the gym, use it, be healthier and that's cost That's exactly less. what I thought. Well, you'd be incorrect. But you'd be in good company. That's what I think a lot of people think. It turns out, and we have work by the researchers Cooper and Trevetti that show this, is that what happens when you offer gym memberships is that you attract healthier customers. So a gym membership is not going to be appealing to someone who you know is suffering from multiple chronic conditions and is basically homebound, couchbound, has trouble walking, etc. It's going to be appealing to the healthier among us who can at least delude ourselves into thinking, boy, we'd use that gym membership a lot if we got it. <laughs> and that's precisely what they find. They find that it attracts people who are already healthier as their customers. And separately, we have really cool work from a randomized trial that three economists did, uh, this is Damon Jones, Julian Reif, and David Molitor, where they actually looked at randomly offering some workers at actually at their university, at the University of Urbana-Champaign at Illinois, offering them workplace wellness programs, and then followed and saw what happened to their health, their absenteeism, etc. And they confirmed what is unfortunately true, which is 
workplace wellness programs don't actually make workers healthier or more productive or less prone to absenteeism. But what they do is appeal to workers who are healthier. The ones who signed up for it were the ones who were, you know, at baseline already in better health. And again, it's that selection. We're doing it not to change, you know, how healthy people are, but to make sure we select or get the healthy customers. That's interesting. Well, yeah. And if I'm an employer and I offer that type of program, I might also entice those people to want to come work for me. Healthier people's going to show up, maybe work more exactly. hours. Be a exactly. Clear head. That's, that's incredible. I want to go next to just a couple things before we say goodbye. This idea of insurance, though, still, Amy, seems very, I'm not going to say easy because you just talked about how it's not easy, but it still seems fairly simple. I put a bunch of people in a pool. I try to make that sure that pool is as healthy or as not going to use it-ish as, as possible so that I protect the integrity of the pool. And then I pay out to people that have an occurrence and the rest of the people that get the peace of mind that if something happens to them, that it's okay. Why do insurance companies have by far, you write, this really surprised me, the biggest lobby in Washington. It doesn't seem like there would need to be that big a lobby in Washington if this is just a cut and dry game of find your customer and learn more about them. That's a great question. I think the reason is because insurance isn't just big business, it's big government, right? Government is incredibly involved in all kinds of insurance markets. Think, for example, unemployment insurance, disability insurance, which you mentioned before, uh, regulation of health insurance markets. There's a, a treasury official recently said, had a great quote. He said, you know, the modern government, you can think about it as a large insurer with a small army on the side or something like that. I mean, a lot of, a lot of what government does these days is get involved in insurance markets, either directly providing it in the case of, say, unemployment insurance and disability insurance or regulating the market uh, in the case of health insurance, also auto insurance, even life insurance. And the reason the government is so involved, and that's why I'm going to surmise uh, the reason there are so many lobbyists, because once the government's involved, the lobbyists want to be involved. The reason they're so involved is precisely because these are not markets. Insurance markets are not markets that can work well on their own precisely because of the selection problem. This is why we sometimes need government's helping hand to make the market function mm. in the same way that governments regulate monopolies uh, and banks to prevent bank runs and polluting firms and the like. Now, that doesn't mean they always get it right or do it well, but that's at least why they're involved. What should our big takeaway be if I'm just the average consumer out there listening to you and I talk right now? I would say two things. First, don't be like my husband. Buy in well, in a specific sense, buy insurance before you need it, right? Insurance is about risk. And even and especially if you're you think, well, you're low risk. That's in some sense what insurance is most important. It's for the things you aren't expecting, but but could be potentially catastrophic, like your house is suffering huge damages. But the second thing is be aware of selection and be aware that a lot of these products are going to be priced, assuming that the people who are buying them are actually high cost, high risk. So one tip I have is in the same way we've talked, you mentioned earlier about waiting periods and how they can help an insurer attract uh, lower cost customers, that means they can be lower priced. So you may be willing to tolerate getting an insurance product with a long waiting period or a big deductible. The bigger a deductible you are willing to 
live with on your automobile insurance or your homeowner's insurance policy, the better deal that product is likely to be because it's likely to attract the lower cost customers. I don't know if it's bad for me to admit this, but I guess I'm going to help your husband out a little bit here, Amy. I will admit that on a roadside once near a convenience store where I'd locked my keys in my car, I called OnStar and tried to sign up on the spot. So they oh, could. wow. I guess I didn't realize I, this is a general problem of male behavior. Oh, yeah. I will say also going back to my plea or pitch that you should get high deductible insurance if you can. When we bought our first house, I searched high and low for the highest homeowners deductible known to man. Um, you know, mostly you can get a $500 or a $1,000 deductible. I actually found a $10,000 deductible policy which given how expensive a house is, it seemed worth it because the premiums were a lot lower. Now, shortly after we bought our house in that policy, there was that huge winter of 2015 in Boston where I live, where the ice dams and the snowstorms. I remember this. Completely blew through the deductible that year. Then the following year, we had a huge flood in our basement, also blew through the deductible, prompted my long-suffering husband to remark that it sure was expensive being married to an insurance expert. (laughs) But even he will admit that if you look back over all the years we've had the policy now, even with those two years of quite high and unfortunate home damages due to the weather and due to a faulty leak in our uh, in our water system, we've still saved money because the premiums are just so much lower. And really, the point of insurance is to protect against the catastrophic loss, which fortunately we have not had yet. But were we to have it, that's what we want financial protection against, not the small bore, although admittedly quite expensive stuff that, that comes under our deductible. The book is called Risky Business, Why Insurance Markets Fail and What to Do About It. If uh, you are like most Americans and you just find insurance to be a a bleak and and just this fog of mystery, Amy, you and your co-authors, you guys do such a great job here. I love the stories. It's just a great way to learn about insurance. This is available tomorrow everywhere, right? Yes. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for helping our stackers get literate on insurance. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on the show. This is Daryl from Pennsylvania. When I'm not busy arguing with a four-year-old, I'm stacking Benjamins. No, Daddy. Big thanks to Amy Finkelstein. I remember that American Airlines debacle offering the lifetime, the lifetime memberships where you got to fly forever for $250,000. Wish I could get one of those right now, huh? <laughs> Well, like Amy and I talked about, you know, it is the same thing as movie pass. The people that decide to go after this stuff, the people that decide that they want this quote coverage where how many movies can I see? Very, very related to the insurance industry. Who's going to buy it? There's more, by the way, that she gets into with pet insurance, with dental coverage, uh, some really interesting stories about why those insurances might seem very expensive. It seemed incredibly expensive, but I'm glad she got to disability coverage, OG, because even though it is expensive, because so many people buy it because they fairly certain they might have a disability, it still is the one every financial planner thinks you got to examine the most. Well, I mean, any insurance that you look at that is priced expensively, you kind of have to wonder why is that the case? There's a reason why your house insurance costs way less than your life insurance. 
You know what I mean? It's like, it's like you start looking at the costs associated with it and you go, okay, well, that must mean that there's some probability there. There's, there's some sort of outcome that I'm not contemplating down the line. So disability is one of those things that's expensive. Absolutely. And what's interesting about that is to your point, the probability that people are going to use it makes a lot of sense. But the piece I didn't know, and we didn't get into the whole pet insurance game, she and I, but we can do that here, is that the chance you're actually going to use your pet insurance for the average person, not that high. But the person who buys pet insurance is so into their pet that they will pay $4,500 a year for a benefit that only equals five grand. Like they will Mm. pay this exorbitant cost because... Because they think that, you know, I mean, because, because the pet's a member of the family. Um, and Amy walks through how pet insurance often is not a great deal, but to a pet owner, it's a whole different thing. Some big ahas there. Hey, uh, let's start with Haven Lifeline. Tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, OG, they put what you value first. Uh, right now it's uh, dealing with insurance. <laughs> yes. We might tell that story a little later. Maybe. About, uh, Yes, I think people That's know fun. that um, your car is in the garage. Ish. <laughs> I'm at the other car. Isn't there another car that's in the garage? But that one's wrecked too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's your loved ones and your time. And thank goodness your loved ones are safe and you have time to deal with this. Indeed. That's why they may buy in quality term life insurance. Actually, simple. Glad you didn't need that. Head to stackingbenjamins.com slash Haven Life now for a free quote. Haven Life, they're committed to offering a modern way to buy life insurance. Their application's simple, it's online. You get an instant coverage decision from an insurer that's more than 160 years old, which is uh, Mass Mutual. Today, let's throw out the lifeline to Mike. Say hi, Mike. Hey, Joe and OG, two quickies for you. Despite your best warnings and protests, I succumbed to my inner idiocy and FOMO'd into Bitcoin and Ethereum throughout 2021. It's been an invaluable but expensive lesson. I'm currently down about 50000 out of a total 70000 invested. Quick picture, I'm 36 and married with a son and another on the way, have a six to nine month emergency fund, have term life insurance, already maxing out my 401k, maxing out the backdoor Roth and HSA, making sure my wife is putting 20 to 30 in her set and funding 10K a year into my son's 529 and about to have a second son, God help me, and fund that 529 as well. So we are saving 10 to 15% of our income for these long-term goals. This is just about sunk cost fallacy. If you were me, do I just cut my L's, dump the crypto, and reallocate the remaining funds into index funds? Or given that I'm otherwise insulated and not a complete moron, do I roll the dice and give the crypto a chance to recover? Number two, I think OG is going to tell me to go slap myself, but can you please give me the blessing to try to emulate Buffett and other value investor gods with about $30,000 of extra funds by tracking the 13 Fs? I know, I know. Long-term, no fund manager say for Buffett has ever outperformed the S&P long-term, but with the fire sale on great companies right now, I figured I could try to copy the Oracle with my extra cash as well, since I'm otherwise saving well. Seriously, I know I'm not supposed to have learned anything, but you guys have changed my life. Maybe this year I'll even look into the efficient frontier and go to Bavaria so Joe can feel good about himself. Oh I'm sorry, God. Doug. I need a t-shirt more than you do, bro. <laughs> wow. Checks all the boxes. That's a thorough listener. Okay, Mike, wait a minute. Let me let me get to the get to the crux of your question. Did you just ask us? while you make sure that your wife does responsible things and saves that you can go out and just gamble 
with some money. I'm making sure my wife is responsible. And what I'd like to do is take my money to the horse track and see if, see if I can, uh, if I can maybe win. I already lost once. Let's see if I can win the, the second time. Yeah. Win it back. Well, a couple of thoughts. Firstly, um, th- right now, anyway, there's no wash sale rules on crypto. So you definitely should sell it. And even if you want to buy it back, just buy back the next minute. You know, there's some transaction costs built in there. But if you've got a 50K loss, you can turn that into a capital loss. It's too late for 2022, but you can do it for 2023 and you don't have to worry about the wash sale. So definitely kind of win on that side, if you will, in terms of the tax piece there. I don't know that anybody can really predict what the outcome is going to be of, you know, Ethereum and, and Bitcoin. It seems pretty dire right now. But I also don't think that it's a terrible idea to just let it sit there. If you've got all of your other financial goals covered, I don't know why you wouldn't do other things. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. It's no different than going and spending 20 grand on a trip to Germany. I think that's really the key, not the trip to Germany, but whether his goals are in place or not. Because I think if he's going to need this money to reach his goals, then put it into something that's that reliably over long periods reaches the goal. But to your point, OG, if he's fine... If he's fine and he's already mapped it out and life looks good, he can afford to wait. Yeah. The other thing that he said in there, kind of in his long-winded soliloquy of not taking a breath at the end, um, he said something about like no fund manager has ever beaten the S&P. And that's not even remotely close to being true. People beat the S&P all the time. The problem is, is that it's hard to predict that person in advance. And it's usually pretty expensive. Well, let me rephrase. It's impossible to predict that person in advance. And it's usually fairly expensive to do. But there's, you know, if you want to follow what investment managers are doing or hedge fund managers are doing, a lot of people are doing what the what Congress is doing, you know, using the disclosures of congressional people to say, oh, well, you know, they know something right. I don't, right. you know. I mean, that's fine too. That's that's. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that when it comes to all of this, boils down to what Joe, you and I were just saying a second ago. If your financial goals are on track with the boring, easy stuff then have fun with the other stuff. And sometimes having fun with the other stuff is going on a trip or buying a boat or a vacation house. And sometimes it's, hey, I want to, you know, I want to invest a little differently. I want to buy a, an apartment building or I want to, you know, start a business or invest in a friend's business that I wouldn't have otherwise done it. There's multiple kind of paths here to be successful, but you also have to recognize the, the risk. And, and so you can't do it with like, this is all the money I have in the world and I need this to pay off. Otherwise I can't make the mortgage you got to do the normal stuff and the smart stuff with that money. But if you've got extra, YOLO, as they say. Sounds like he's got at least enough to buy his own damn t-shirt. I, I, I think that, I think that uh, having that sandbox for most people, OG, is just a great idea. I mean, having a little bit of play money, because I feel like that keeps you interested in the game. It keeps you mentally engaged in the game. It also teaches you some lessons. Like maybe he didn't have to put that much money in crypto and learn a very expensive lesson there. It could have been a much cheaper lesson, but putting a, you know, a thousand dollars in something, I feel like you make different decisions when you invest in it. You see how much emotions are tied to it. And I think those are valuable things for us. Good. Correct. Yes. Yes. It's just, you just, it just ended. Yeah. Yeah. Big thanks to Mike for uh, the question and for including Doug and I there at the end, very briefly, and maybe not in the most flattering ways, but still including us. I, I feel good. 
stackybenjamins.com slash voicemail. If you'd like to ask OG and uh, I, and even Doug a question and for being brave, of course, we are sending Mike out a Haven lifeline, greatest money show on earth circus t-shirt. One of the most comfortable shirts on earth. It's fantastic. Stackybenjamins.com slash voicemail though, to get your questions answered. All right. I think that's going to do it for today. I'm super excited. If you missed the show last uh, Wednesday, we have a new show coming out called Stacking Deeds. It's a Stacking Benjamins real estate show. More coming on that. We are going to put at least uh, one show in the feed. The show is going to come out Tuesdays and uh, you're going to hear one here as an introductory show. So super excited. Alan Corey and Crystal Hammond, both two real estate pros, Super excited to uh, have you hear more. You, of course, heard Crystal earlier on the Stacking Benjamin show uh, early this month, and uh, you'll hear from Alan here in the next couple of weeks on our Friday roundtable. So you get to know them a little bit, but that's coming. If you're not here, though, for real estate, you're not here for our amazing TikTok minute today where we find out how much you should probably focus on your job. You're concerned much more about recession fears ramping up. You may be feeling anxious to make some moves in your finances, might be thinking, I've got to go buy $70,000 worth of crypto, something like that. What I'd like you to do instead is check out this free guide OG and his team put together that'll help you plan more and panic less no matter what the market does. Some great insights on what you should be doing and smart questions to ask yourself so that you make financial decisions that your future self will thank you for head over to stackingbenjamins.com slash guide. That's stackingbenjamins.com slash guide to get that free guide from OG. That's going to do it for today. Doug, I think you got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Well, Joe, first take some advice from Amy Finkelstein. If you think about how insurance companies make money, you'll actually make better insurance decisions. Figure out your needs well before you need them and eliminate coverages that don't make economic sense. Second statistics, there's a 46.5% chance this statistic was being made up right now. The big lesson? Always ensure your body parts are washed. That's what I always say. Thanks to Amy Finkelstein for joining us today. Get her book, Risky Business, Why Insurance Markets Fail and What to Do About It, anywhere you risk being buried by a stack of books. We'll also include links in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2023, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch with help from me, Joe, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. You can hire Paulette as your very own writing coach. With her program, Your Personal Editor, you get 10 sessions one-on-one with Paulette to add power to your words. More information at yourpersonaleditor.com. Kevin Bailey helps us take a deeper dive into all the topics covered on each episode in our newsletter called The 201. You'll find the 411 on all things money at The 201. Just go to stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Tina Eichenberg makes the video version of this show. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is our social media coordinator and the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. 
So say hello when you see us posting online. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at the Stacking Benjamin Show. Not only should you not take advice from these nerds, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. Oh, gee, I don't know what they're waiting for. The show's over, but they want more. Who's they? I do, whoever's sitting here listening to us. Either oh. if nobody's listening to it. Maybe it, maybe nobody is waiting for more. Maybe it's just you and me. I don't know. Like the know, old days. You know we could talk about that we didn't talk about during the show? is becoming the CFO of your financial situation. Like a lot of people have debt, like they get in trouble over the holidays. But very pe- few yeah. people have like a debt strategy They actually go into the year and think about how do I use debt in a way that is not going to sink my ship instead can be used to help me build the bury my head in the sand approach. (laughs) Maybe, maybe we should do the anti barrier head in the sand approach. And to do that, I think partnering up with Navy federal credit union is a great way to go. Let's talk about paying down credit card debt. You could get a low intro APR on balance transfers that are platinum credit card. It's their lowest rate card and a great tool to pay less interest to quote the man while you're paying down debt. Or let's say that next home improvement project, you're putting your strategy together. They can help you get started there. They offer a home equity line of credit with convenient access to funds when you need them so that you're not taking out a bunch of debt all at once. Just Money's available. Oh, I got to build this part. Put that on the house. Bam. You can also get a fixed rate equity loan that has set monthly payments for large purchases. Consolidating debt with a home equity loan could also streamline and lower your monthly payments. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. Our members are the mission. Insured by NCUA, equal housing lending, membership required, loan subject to approval. Call 1-888-842-6328 for details about credit cost and terms. HELOC APR is low as 6.5% as of November OG, what'd you do this weekend? Uh, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Nothing too oh, exciting. Oh, good. This is a good story. Boring. This is a good story. Well, I did not. <laughs> I wasn't. I uh, wasn't really exactly prepared for this, but I will. Uh, I will send you guys a quick little Slack message because uh, I can't put it. I don't know how to do it on the screen. How do I do it on the screen? Can I do it on the screen? I don't. This is so. share screen. There's a share screen button. See that? Or is it just me? Do you guys have the share screen button? Yeah, I have. I have. Uh, I do. I have the share screen button, but that's not going to really do anything. Um, will Will Slack be sufficient? Can I Can I Slack sure. you? The uh, give me some Slack, dude. There you go. I cut you guys some Slack. 
So yeah, I mean, nothing, nothing too exciting. Um, we went, uh, Saturday was kind of a low key day, a little exercise, watched a little football Sunday, got up, uh, went to church like a good boy, let my kid drive home, park the car in the garage. So he got it all the way in. Check slack whenever you're ready. I, that's why I, that's why I asked that question. He got the car all the way in the garage. Took it for a lap in the hallway of my house. <laughs> oh my God. You gotta be kidding me. That's amazing. Oh my. So, so for people listening, we're looking at a picture of OG's house where there's a hallway that has the length of the garage along it where you would pull the car in and apparently your son took a hard right into the, oh, oh my, oh, oh. Unbelievable. He went, went for a drive in the hallway. Yeah. Yeah, that's a gas, not brake. That's what happens when you hit the gas, not the brake when you're pulling in the garage. Did you at least get a, my bad? No, he was devastated. I said, I thought was pretty witty, although in hindsight, I wish I would have, you know, had a couple more after he stopped. <laughs> He just went, oh, no. And I was like, cool. Um, can we reverse out of the hallway, maybe? Just just knock it down into reverse. And then it was like slow motion, because then, then we back out of the hallway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And all back the walls the- coming down around the front of your car, I'm imagining. Well, it was it was a little slow motion because there was like the one, uh, you know, you know, everybody's got sh- stuff piled up in the garage. So I got like a little table or a little... uh rack of you know paint and stuff and then like the one like little paint can goes doink falls off like onto the hood and then rolls slowly (laughs) did it open up so you got a new paint job no i'm definitely getting a new paint job but um not because oh man so i i immediately thought of in animal house when they're trying to pull the (laughs) the car flounder's brother's car into the garage when they were going to recreate it as the death mobile for the parade. I don't yes. remember that, but I believe you. You don't remember this? Okay. The movie was made prior to me being born. So I've, the fact that I even know about it is, um, is, the fact that you is know about animal house. Wow. So that is, that is bad. Doug, that is bad. That is so bad. So, but so, you know, with Amy being here today, talking about insurance, OG is, <laughs> Yeah, that was I'm the sh- other thing. <clears throat> so you know that you know the part where they say on the commercial, like, and we don't raise your rates for one accident. Well, <laughs> Mrs. OG's car is in the shop right now because of an accident. My car will be in the shop in the next day because of an accident. And my house will be in the shop because of an accident. They're all insurance. <laughs> Are your bikes in good working order? <laughs> exactly. But it's a little bit like uh little like Yellowstone. You know, you fall off the horse, you got to get back on it. So we're gonna, I'm going to make him go drive again today. So so that's, that's good. Everybody, if you're out walking in the Dallas metro area, wear a vest. You're safe on hard, the roads. Wear a hard hat. <laughs> well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. 
this Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.